Hey, this is H1. We're going to be running it back with another episode talking about chess knowledge, chess wisdom, and chess understanding again. And today I got with me uh, a very cool guest. We got Aiden here. And he has a chess business. And I'm really excited to speak with him about a, a visualization. And I know that the audience needs help with visualization, calculating, things of that nature. I already went over episodes on visualization, but I got a guest here that can teach you more about it. So would you like to introduce yourself? Amazing. Thanks, Devon. Uh, my name's Aiden. I run uh, Don't Move Until You See It. And uh, I'm a adult improver, picked up chess a few years ago and stumbled into this wild world of visualization after getting some uh, rapid results myself and now doing it for um, yeah, a bunch of people that have gone through my courses and things. It's been a, a wild, a wild couple of years. I'm looking forward to diving into it with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, you know what? Let's just. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Start from the beginning, like little Aiden, all right? Let's see. <laughs> what was little Aiden doing visualizing chess positions? <laughs> oh, little Aiden. Uh, the the littlest Aiden that dealt with chess was was lockdown Aiden. Uh, oh. So chess is a very new thing for me, uh, comparatively speaking. I turned 30 a couple of weeks ago, so when I picked it up at 27... Uh, okay. which is, according to general chess law, far too late to be any good. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't tell people that. that. Don't tell yeah. people that. All right. We don't need to know those statistics. All right. Oh, man. I mean, I th- I, to be honest, I think the, the belief that that is the case is part of the reason the statistics lean that way. I think uh, there's nothing stopping yeah. an adult from doing from doing well. Um, yep. So, yeah, I picked up over lockdown. I uh, wanted to get better um mm-hmm. so i go really i think it was agamada an agamada video kind of grabbed my attention and then i got hooked to the first pog champs tournament i love a got uh, a got matter video got got hooked, uh got you hooked it's not the beth Harmon so. videos it's not mittens is those <laughs> youtube videos no i think i think the algorithm just picked up that people care about chess and somehow agamada ended up in my um in my feed so i watched that and then that led me yeah to pog champs uh which i thoroughly enjoyed i loved watching people playing moves that i could understand commentated on by grandmasters like that was yeah. a really unique experience and um i think it was for a lot of people did you so pick it up from scratch I, yeah. though or did you have like prior experience even from two years ago um so I I played a little bit, like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of chess in like primary school, uh, which is elementary school equivalent. And, mm-hmm. um, but I was like, I think I went to the chess club twice, and I think it was that because there was a cute girl there. Like that was about the extent of my chess yeah. involvement. Uh, and yeah, I think that was basically it. And I just basically didn't touch it again until I mean, lockdown. That kind of makes sense, though. It is what yeah. it is. Like. I can see like a decade ago or a couple decades ago, it wasn't as popular. And I think the audience needs to understand this. Chess wasn't as popular two decades ago. People were still getting like clowned on, like being a chess player for some (laughs) reason, especially at my schools, like the schools that I went to. um, It wasn't, it wasn't the guy that was popular. I can say that. All right. (laughs) It was also like, uh, there was a few people went to the chess clubs, uh, the kind of school chess club in Australia, just because like in summer it gets really hot here. So uh, the classrooms were air conditioned. So it was an excuse to be inside for lunchtime at school uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Um, but chess isn't isn't really a big thing here. Uh, and even with the big boom, it still hasn't super taken off in Australia. Like there's obviously a lot more people playing online, but the chess clubs aren't that much more busy than they were. And um mm-hmm. Just yeah, it's a little little kind of slower down down under. Uh yeah, so so Australia hmm. I don't know any like grandmasters from Australia. Um, uh we don't or, have that many. Have... Um our, okay. I think we've had nine total. 
Oh, maybe we have nine currently, but it's not a big number that we've had total. Our current uh, top player is Anton Smirnov, who's uh, mm. a very cool dude. Um, oh, you medal? I think he, yeah. Um, he was actually one of the first people I reached out to when I sort of came up with uh. this method and did all that sort of stuff. And I was like, am I barking up the wrong tree? Uh, but he he was very encouraging, which was lovely. Um, just, yeah, he's a really nice guy. I think he, he peaked at 200 in the world or something. And I think that's the highest we've ever had. That's really awesome. So th- this is actually a weird story because I didn't know that you just now started learning how to play chess um, three years ago. And then yeah. like, where where did the chess business fit in there while you was learning how to play chess? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of strange. Um, I stumbled into it is the main thing I can say. I, I it was locked down. It was kind of um, a lot of things were stagnant and I really wanted my rating to go up. I think I kind of overly emotionally attached to something that I could see progress. Mel- I was, I'm in Melbourne. So Melbourne was the most locked down city in the world for a very, very long time. We we okay. were locked down, I think a total of like nine months or something. Right. Uh, so it was like a lot of like, okay, nothing is moving in any part of my life, but there's this number attached to my chess rating that I can, if I work, I can see that go up. And that was really important to me. And I tried to do the normal stuff. Um, I bought a couple of courses. I did, uh, like some tactics work end games work. I bought a couple of chess books and it wasn't making that much of a difference. Like I stopped, like I had a trap and I stopped falling to those traps early, but Beyond that, I didn't feel much of an improvement. Uh, there was a bit of a bump and then then kind of nothing, despite putting in a couple of hours of work a day. So um, I was about 750 blitz at this point. Yeah, you hit that barrier and... that everybody hits. That uh, Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. And I was like looking at, um, I just like, well, that seems really like, it seems like I'm putting a lot of work for not a lot of result. What's going on? Did a little looking on Reddit because I had no familiarity with the chess universe at all. And uh, it seems that that was, it's a very, very, very normal thing for chess to mm-hmm. put in a lot of work and see no growth. You just um, related to like <laughs> millions of chess players. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, wow, okay. Um, and, but for me, like I, I, long before I got into chess, I was actually a big fan of Josh Waitskin, but not for his chess stuff, more for his learning stuff. And Josh Waitskin and his work with Tim Ferriss, um, especially, uh, sort of led me to different approaches to learning and different ways to deconstruct skills and put them back together and um, try and find kind of rapid ways to grow. And just for the fun of it, because there was nothing else to do, I figured what would what would happen if I tried to deconstruct chess? If I just forgot everything I know about what I should do to get better, and I approached it totally fresh as a 750 blitz player um what would i do that process led me to a ton of research uh, and that research led me to videos of guys like hikaru uh, vishi talking about visualization being this incredibly important part of the game um more recently there's been a fabiano kawana video where he says it's the single most important thing in the game and then I was looking at all the books and the courses I was doing and no one's talking about visualization, <laughs> looking at the videos and right. it's just not mentioned. It's not, it's not you know, part of it. And if it is, it's not very mentioned? much in passing. You know why it's not <laughs> why is mentioned? Because it it's, <laughs> it's boring. It doesn't get the clicks, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's, there's, um, oh man, yeah. So I started... Um, messing around uh that same video with hikaru he said the best way to learn visualization was blindfold chess so i tried that as a 750 rated blitz player and cool. it didn't go well yeah <laughs> it I did be- not i go bet well. like yeah <laughs> but right. it it led me to the next step and that's kind of what's generated everything else as i sat down i tried blindfold chess and i went okay this is way too hard mm-hmm. and it's too fuzzy there's this one belief i have one kind of core thing to my learning approach in anything i do and it's this idea of isolate and intensify so whenever we're trying to learn something we need to isolate the part we're trying to work on like take it away so that we can totally focus on that part of the skill get away get rid of as much else as we possibly can 
and then intensify it, we want to train at a difficulty that's higher than we actually need in context. Uh, because when we go back to, in this case, a game of chess, it's so much easier to visualize or whatever than it was before. Um, so I went, okay, what if I isolated an intensified visualization? And I basically uh, figured I would try blindfold chess without the decisions. So I recorded uh, myself reading notation for a game. Um, and then I would listen back to it with my eyes closed and try and follow everything that was happening and understand what's happening in the game. And I picked stuff from different openings, ones I didn't play, completely unfamiliar positions. And I tried to just in my mind, keep track of everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, recorded a 25 move game because I'm uh, a little overconfident at times. <laughs> and and, wow. um, and I uh, fell off by move two. Uh, the Knights came out and I was already confused. Yeah. And um, I was like, okay. And I went back and I went back to the beginning of the audio and I listened again and again, and I went over it again. And when I lost track of something or a move didn't make sense, I'd go back to the beginning again. Mm-hmm. And I did that for about 10 minutes and went, okay, that was a fun experience. Uh, and then I started playing some games and my brain was just giving me things. Uh, like I just, I sensed that something had sort of opened up that I could, I was spotting night forks three or four moves down the line. I wasn't hanging my queen in one move. I wasn't blundering checkmate in one move. These mistakes that had haunted me, uh, it just all kind of went away. Um, yeah. and that was fascinating. And over the next two weeks, I jumped 250 points. Uh, yeah. in the four weeks after that, I jumped another 250 points. Yeah. <laughs> so in six weeks, I'd gone up 500 points. Um, after being stuck and feeling stuck and doing all that. And the only thing that changed is I was doing this visualization practice for 10 minutes each day. I actually stopped doing all the other stuff as well. What was the other stuff that and, you was doing so that the audience can know? Oh, it was some openings practice at a um, Gotham chess course for openings. Uh, you got, you got trapped uh, with the <laughs> opening crap. You know, yeah, so my philosophy, you're not, I didn't even know any, openings all right <laughs> when mm. i started out playing chess and everybody gets caught up with let me learn the carol khan and this line and it's like no yeah. you don't even understand how to get checkmate with the queen and king <laughs> exactly like i did i did even that a little bit i had um the is it thousand checkmate patterns and a hundred end games you must know like those on chessable i had those two mm-hmm. um and yeah, they were stunning good. they were very good uh mm-hmm. but yeah so i kind of had i did those three things and i was working through those things um and the checkmate patterns were incredibly helpful i mean all three of them were were very useful in their own way but i i didn't feel that the stuff i was learning was coming out in my games that was kind of the issue like i was learning stuff in my studying and then i'd be playing and nothing was like nothing i was learning was appearing um okay i was being overly reliant on what i'd memorized about my opening at 700 blitz and no one's playing the main line stuff and it's so, but yeah, and visualization sort of unlocked a lot of that for me. Um, and that was, yeah, part of that rise. And I realized after I looked at rating graphs and stuff that I'd gone from the bottom of the bell curve to the top of the bell curve um, in mm-hmm. six weeks. And I was like, okay, well, I'm reasonably entrepreneurial. Maybe there's something here that um, other people could benefit from as well, that, that it could sort of go out and sort of help people with this one part of the game and I don't know, maybe make a few bucks on the side. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then I started showing it to masters and the, one of the first people I showed it to was Anton and he was very excited about it. Uh, then I started showing it to some people on Fiverr. Uh, I started hiring chess masters for, for coaching. And then when they would jump into the session, I'd be already screen sharing my system yeah. <laughs> and ready to show them to get their opinions, like just sort of flipping the tables on them. Yeah. Um, and, but that was, that was big for me because uh, several of them started using it in their training for tournaments themselves. This is like FIDE masters and WFMs and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And I, I was sitting here at like maybe 1500 rapid or something at the time. And, yeah. uh, and a FIDE masters going, Oh, I'm going to use this for my next tournament. I'm going, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, that's basically how this became a business of sort of going, Oh, maybe I've actually stumbled into something. Mm-hmm. Um, important in the chess world. 
Hmm. So, wow, that that's really amazing that you like tricked grandmasters on fire. <laughs> nah, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure they didn't mind because it was getting paid for anyway. But exactly, that's, yeah. That's really interesting though that you actually um just thought about this idea because um I can see in the chessboard that visualization. First of all there's two parts to this first of all people think that visualize like grandmasters visualize 20 moves down the line which is yeah. a myth that that does not happen at all and then secondly mm. most people don't even focus on visualization even um even during the opening like for example in my life and for all the kids that is listening don't don't do this in school but <laughs> and actually this is a nerdy thing to do in school anyway you should get beat up for it but i used to have this big <laughs> test volume <laughs> amazing I, I used to have this chess opening book right and it had yeah. no pictures in it. it it just had variations and when I was bored in class I used to just go through the variations of my openings that I play just in my head <laughs> yeah amazing <laughs> and I would just amazing. do that I would just go through lines and then I'll try out the lines when I got home this episode is brought to you by Reese's peanut butter cups and breaking news Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. On chess.com on onlychess.org. And so that's partly... Uh, visualization but it seems like that you have more of a system like a a platform that is um primarily for that that can help you out which is visualization is really important because it it brings you to calculating really fast and most people don't think that they can do so but it is very simple to do it it's actually i've realized it goes a little bit deeper um even than that is kind of been the, the strange thing so my obsession for the last 12 months uh, of doing this, I've been doing a lot of reading and and like um, talking to people in like neuroscience and psychology and trying to understand kind of how brains handle information in general and then how they handle chess information specifically. And what I've realized with it is that visualization uh, is sort of a MacGuffin. Like it's the being able to see moves ahead is definitely useful. Like it's super useful for calculating. It's very important if you're in critical positions to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But for the majority of chess players, the more important part of visualization is actually about our working uh, working memory and how uh, how well we handle chess information in our working memories. Mm-hmm. So like, to, I suppose to quickly explain what I mean by that, uh, the studies have shown we've got between five and nine slots in our short-term memory, like slots for information, and they store in chunks of sorts. So like uh, bits of information related to a certain idea get stored into one slot. But we've got seven slots and 32 pieces on a chessboard. So uh, that's a lot of information to try and fit in seven slots. And our brains don't do it very well. Um, mm-hmm. They do it very badly, like, absolutely very badly. Um and we feel it, we see it in our games. Like if you've ever had the experience of calculating a big attack, getting really excited and then hanging your queen to a sniper bishop. It's like, you're not doing that because you're stupid. You're doing that because your working memory got overloaded. You spent all seven of your slots thinking about that attack and your brain pushed out the bishop because it wasn't relevant to what was important to you at that moment. And you just literally forgot the bishop was there. It's it's nothing to do with intelligence or anything. It's just your brain couldn't handle all that information. Uh, same thing with the classic. Um, I did this all the time. <laughs> like where you you've got your candidate moves, and yeah. you pick the first one. Uh, you sort of look first when you calculate it out a bit, and you go, "Oh, that's really bad. I lose a knight almost instantly with that. I'm not going to do that." So then you calculate another move and then you calculate another move and then you calculate another move and then you play the first move you thought of mm-hmm. and you lose the night instantly and you go, oh, I I knew that. <laughs> I had already calculated that. Yeah. And that's the same deal. That's just your working memory overloading. Uh, what visualization training does 
is especially blindfold training it forces us to get really efficient at holding chess information in those slots in our working memories which means when when we get good at it when we're on a big attack we don't forget the bishops there because our brain can handle that information and that's been the biggest uh for me i think that's why i had the the 500 point jump in six weeks it's just because it's why I stopped blundering like really obvious, easy blunders is because I could actually start handling that. I didn't have to drop the Bishop information in order just to calculate my attack. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing this technique can be used in, in other stuff too, um, in other games, et cetera, that maybe there's too much information and you just need to, not be overloaded because I kind of, I I think chess players or grandmasters intuitively know this, that that's what happening because Mm. I know for myself, I always tell my audience, Hey, um, put as put the most pressure on your opponents as possible to make sure they make a mistake and then take the opportunity to get into a winning position from that mistake that the, that the opponent does. And so absolutely it's pretty much the premise. I just don't have all the, the fancy terminology. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The of fancy the terminology I learned from um, from Super Smash Brothers. There was a Super Smash Brothers podcast I listened to, and the, they were talking about uh, exactly that. They were talking about even when you're down, like just keep causing issues for your opponent because eventually mm-hmm. you'll overload their mental stack. Because and, you know, grandmasters uh, like prying or poking the yeah. bear. You like, and it's. Um, on the computer, it shows, oh, this is a completely equal position. But by doing these small little pokes, it, yeah. you know, a, a certain player can't handle all of it at one time. And actually, that happened in like this recent World Chess Championship where Ding Laren, he played perfectly after the fifth game against Jan Nepo. And Jan Nepo, yeah. he just stopped seeing stuff in the last six games and he just stopped playing perfect moves and he was actually missing opportunities that he should have taken. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's just so much, a, it's such a big part of the game. <laughs> the, yeah. the, that kind of mental thing. And there, there's, again, there's been studies shown on how easily and quickly our working memories can be overloaded. Um, there was a great study done. Uh, they talk about in thinking fast and slow, but the uh, great study done where they showed how time pressure just destroys like the capacity of your working memory and, <laughs> so, uh, and yeah that's funny yeah and this was just with, like with like uh mental equations that they were doing but i was reading this and going oh yeah yeah i've definitely experienced time pressure destroying my ability to keep track of what's happening yeah mm-hmm. uh, that's why you should always be up on time <laughs> always <laughs> yep. easier said than done yeah i know right <laughs> yep but yeah but- it's um it's been a it's been a wild ride, yeah. Yeah. So, so where's the business now? Like, uh, actually, when did you exactly start during the pandemic? Uh, so I picked up chess in 2020. The first version of the website launched in April 2021. So mm-hmm. I've just crossed two years, yeah, two years and a month or something at this point. All right. Um, running it and. The first year things were a bit rough as I was like working out how do I run a chess thing? I've got no idea. Like if you told me like, yeah. yeah, three and a half years ago, I'd be running a chess business. I'd said you were crazy. Uh, <laughs> and trying to get past the kind of imposter syndrome of like, why would anyone listen to me talk about chess? Uh, you got to get past that. That's trash. And you got to get past that. Yeah. yeah. Eventually I realized it's like everyone in the, in the chess world um, that is like, well, not everyone, but, the vast majority of people in the chess world that are like uh, teaching or selling something or providing content like started when they were six, which means they chess is the first big thing that they learned and the rest of their life, they kind of see through a chess lens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of realized somewhere in that first year that actually the, the big benefit for me is that I don't have that. That's actually a huge plus. I see chess through the lens of the rest of my life. So I see chess through a lens of guitar and films and okay, and other skills I've learned. And that allows me to bring totally new perspectives into the space that, that aren't necessarily there. Um, yeah, I kind of have that's like how, a... That's how I got past imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if you want to get past it, just look, just go on Twitch, look at somebody that has a 500 ELO uh, chess.com yeah. rating and be like, wow, he's not the best, but he's, he's trying his hardest, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's killing it on the stream. Not he's really chess going board, for it, but yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done. But um, <laughs> I know, so that's pretty interesting how you see chess because I, I just view it as if you want to apply it to your life, you can, it's easy to do yeah. so um like for example i was just doing a chess lesson not too long ago and i was explaining um to this person you know in the beginning chess really humbles you in such a yeah. way that nothing else can humble you <laughs> yeah you go chess.com, like okay i know how the pieces move i know what check is and maybe i know what rook rook checkmate is and then you just get yeah. beat down into the lowest rating possible and then you're like oh <laughs> man dang this it's is how chess so really brutal is. <laughs> yeah like the, like the philosopher in me loves that uh <laughs> loves it about the game the the just the brutality of it like i'm a yeah. big fan of like stoic writings and and stuff like that and and the fact that one of the things that like, drew me to chess is that i could feel if i had any issues with my mindset or any kind of issues with um how i handled victory or how i handled defeat or how i handled pressure i would experience those things like tenfold over a chessboard uh, and working on them over the chessboard actually helped me work on them in the rest of my life as well. So it, I love the, it lays any mindset issues you have very bare and very in front of you. Uh, the game of chess does. And I think it's what's so captivating about it for me. Exactly. That's cool. And so, but where, like, what are you doing with the business now? Do you have like more grandmasters that you're referring to? Do you like, what experiences are you having um, starting this? Yeah, oh, man. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been really interesting, really fascinating. I, I have had uh, the great fortune to uh, be sort of collaborating and, and sort of associated now with several um, title players. Mm -hmm. And that's been really cool to see kind of my somewhat kooky, unorthodox blindfold training ideas getting accepted. And uh, I've got a great relationship with uh, Noel Studer. Uh, I've done a blog post with him that did really well um and he built some exercises for me that are now in the system and i've had that sort of relationship now with a couple other streamers um john curtis the video master from australia same sort of thing he's built four or five exercises in the system and um which has been really cool to actually have people who know chess far better than i do building visualization exercises and contributing to the system mm -hmm. um for me that's been wild and also the incredible experience of uh, having a, an exercise type that i invented i've got there's got 13 different sort of approaches to visualization training in the system at the moment so like having something that that i invented uh come back to me designed by a grandmaster and actually for the first time be able to completely fresh try one of like one of my own style of exercises so it's, yeah. it was a, a wonderful experience um, so that's been really cool. It's been fantastic to see how it's sort of been accepted into the culture. It's still very early days. It's still building. It's still doing its thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm starting to see references to it pop up here and there. Uh, okay. the usernames getting like recognized when I'm in Twitch chat every now and then. And, um, mm -hmm. people are posting about it on, on Reddit. And something that's been really wonderful is that it's been, taken up in a big way by the aphantasia community in chess okay. um what is, what is that really community cool. so aphantasia is a um i don't know exactly what the technical term for it is but it's when you mm. can't see pictures in your head mm. so when your brain physically can't form images and a big part of the reason i think my stuff's been taken up in that community is that I'm a big believer and I've got sort of um, a lot of reading to, to back it up uh, that visualization does not have to be visual. There's a, there's a kind of a, a concept that we need to be seeing a board. Yeah. What we do absolutely you... don't. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain that a, a little bit further? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, in my, in my opinion, uh, whoever came up with the word visualization has a lot to answer for. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that super struggle with visualization because they're trying to see a picture 
when naturally that's not what their brain wants to do. Um, or something. So in the late 1800s, there was a study done by Alfred Binet, a French psychologist. Mm-hmm. And he he was like proper like granddaddy of uh, modern psychology. He invented a few years later, he invented the first IQ test. Okay. Um, but before that, he was studying uh, chess masters and he was really fascinated by blindfold players in particular. And he went in assuming that blindfold players would have this amazing visual ability mm-hmm. uh, in their mind and was quite surprised to find out that they didn't really. Some of them did, but some of them didn't. There are all sorts of different ways that chess masters, including the world champion at the time, Tarash, I think, or I don't know if it was world champion or second or mm-hmm. whatever, but Tarash was part of that study. And um, found that a lot of them didn't. And that, as soon as I read that, I obviously dived in deeper. And I mm-hmm. found in the 30s, there was this guy, George Kolfinowski, who was the blindfold Simmel world champion. He did 34, 37 or something like that games at once. He was going back and forth with Al Yekin for the title for a few years. Mm-hmm. And um, he I found a great interview with him where he wrote that uh, he was asked, how does he keep track of all the information? And he said he records the moves on his mental gramophone and then he plays them back. Hmm. And this is like blindfold symbol world champion. His model, the way he kept track of visualization in his mind was with audio, not pictures. Uh, then I heard about Yekin. Sorry, yeah. you know, hey, I was going to say we're going to have to hear from like the top twenty grandmasters right now how they how they do it because I really want to know because yeah. even there might be some discrepancies because how they play chess back then is completely different how they play chess nowadays though too. Mm. But what you said kind of I'm not a blindfold grandmaster. Let me just preface this. But when <laughs> I'm huge, like I played a, a blindfold game one time and I was just um i was looking at the chessboard i i don't know if this even counts or not but <laughs> I was that hit me i'm curious i was playing zen mode on leechess.org and Beautiful. i wasn't even like imagining the pieces it was just like all just material that i was imagining when i was playing i won the yeah. game surprisingly against like an 1800 for my first time doing blindfold but i was like eh, yeah nice i'm not i didn't really have like a clear picture of you know it's how, cold. you know how in Beth Harmon the Netflix series where she was looking yeah. at the ceiling and there was like stuff a full ceiling, yeah. set and pieces and stuff. That's that's I don't know how to get to I don't know how to get to that level if it's true or not. Or I, yeah, I know some Carl people do. Nakamura talk about uh, talk about it, but I'm like, ah, you know, that's, that's some people do. Some people can do that, but if you don't naturally do that, don't try. Um, <laughs> the that's the that's the big takeaway is. Like Al Yekin talks about, um, he said that I realized later because what he wrote doesn't actually match up with a lot of what's out there. So I, I'm sort of interpreting this as Al Yekin talking about what happens in his head and him just assuming that's also what happens in other people's heads. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that he doesn't really see pictures. He he um, he kept track of everything with what he called his logical memory. So he would he would see a flash of like if there was a key position and he needed to see how stuff goes together, like he would flash that section of the board uh, in his mind. But in general, he kept track of everything through logical memory. So if he needed to remember where the B pawn was, he would remember that he had to stop knight C4 earlier. So the pawn's on B3. Uh, and that's that was basically his model. That was how he would do things. It was a very logical approach with little flashes of imagery. Uh, there's this amazing video with Eric Rosen where he talks about um, his model, the what he sees in his head when he plays blindfold is like a flashlight in a dark room. Uh, so like he'll see like this chunk of the board here and then you'll see this chunk over here and he'll remember how it all goes together. And with familiar structures, it's like remembering the the furniture in your house. Like he, that he sounds just a little. Of... That sounds close to what I was trying to say. That sounds a little bit. Yeah, nice. See, Eric Rosen is a cool guy. <laughs> He's, He's a, a cool guy. <laughs> that sounds close to what I was kind of picturing, but just a little bit off. But yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's like our brains are super lazy. Like that's that's where it's all coming from. Is our brains are super lazy. 
none of us are building new pathways in order to visualize in chess. Our brains are trying to reuse and recycle skills that they already have. So our brains have been conceptualizing and trying to make sense of complex information since the day we were born, before we were born by some studies. Mm. And um, because of that, uh, we have already got all of these systems to keep track of complex information. Yeah. And when our brains are met with chess and trying to keep track of all the information on a chessboard, it naturally wants to reuse stuff that it's already got. Mm. And a lot of us aren't letting it do that because we're convinced visualization has to be visual. Um, but it's, it's amazing once we sort of put our brains in a situation like a blindfold training scenario where it has to come up with something, but it has to do something to keep track of it all. And then we trust our brain to just do what it wants to do uh, in handling yeah. that. It's really quite fascinating how much that difference yeah, it is can make scary. and how quickly it can make it. Like I would say, what, what rating would you say for people to start training training like that? What what rating? Um, I don't think it's necessarily a rating uh, that's required. I think it's more an experience piece. Like I started at 750 blitz. Okay. Uh, it's so, more, you need to have a strong understanding of like basic chess foundations uh, and then absolutely start working on your visualization. Okay, so for everybody that knows how to piece this move, know what checks checkmate is. Actually, for everybody who knows how to accurately do ampassant, just try out <laughs> a, a blindfold chess game. <laughs> try out doing yeah. something visualizing. All right, I can trust anybody yeah. that knows how to do ampassant willingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if you uh, cut if half you... the audience, just cut half. <laughs> <laughs> just done. Yeah. It's just that's the point in the podcast where everything just drops off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, Hopefully, like, that's... Stay, stay please. Stay. <laughs> oh, already, they're already gone, mate. It's too late. I know. I know. That's how <laughs> social media is nowadays. <laughs> so yeah. I know that Magnus Carlsen, um, in one of his interviews, he said that he, when he approaches a position, like a very tough position, he already knows the best move, but he double checks it. Um, with his calculation too and yeah. I, i'm pretty sure he doesn't when he figures out the best move I don't, I don't know if it's like he visualized the position i don't know exactly what it is there an interview with him even talking about visualization do you know uh i haven't run into one with magnus talking about visualization specifically um i've seen It'll a be- hikaru one that i can't find anymore and the fabi one that's particularly um it's it's accessible it's really cool uh and but I could we, probably try and explain what's happening there. Yeah, I wonder if there's a Bobby Fisher one. Because that would be oh, a, I'd love a to see weird a character one. of um, Bobby Fisher explaining visualization. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there, there it is. So, like, so once you get to, like, basically Grandmasters have a, a major, well, this is going to be a strange, obvious sentence. They have a major advantage over the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, but one is, like, the main piece is that they have such a a wealth of positions and like chunks of positions in their long-term memories. So for example, like they can sum up an entire position by saying, yeah, this is a Queen's Gambit decline main line at the 25th move, but they played knight C3 here instead or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that tells them everything they need to know about the position. They understand everything about like all the dynamics, how it's all moving, where all the key squares are, all that. Right. We don't have that uh we not don't have this <laughs> not at all yeah exactly yeah uh and it's just because they've yeah they've burned all of these positions in their mind they've just seen them so so many times over years and years and years of training um so their visualization for them is it's like trying to build a like a lego um model they just have more bits to put together like they've got more templates mm-hmm. they've got more kind of guidelines and stuff um we could go down the path of spending years and years and years and years and years training and getting all of those positions in our head as well. Or we could get better at handling the positions as they show up. Um, And that's kind of been my sort of thinking with it. So visualization for Magnus and what he specifically does is super interesting, uh, but not incredibly relevant to a beginner player because we just, he's dealing with a fundamentally different collection of, of like prerequisites um, right. than we are 
Uh, so like, I would love to. I'd absolutely love to know what Magnus sees in his head, and I'd be particularly interested to see what he saw in his head when he was less good um, and see kind of how he how he did that. But that's a really fascinating thing. I think uh, holding up what the Grandmasters do as kind of our target for visualization or calculation and stuff like that is probably a bit of a... Um, uh, misdirection. It's not. It's not quite. All right. The aim so you're not saying for somebody to. What was that one guy? He used recordings in his head to visualize stuff. You're not saying for people to. Which is just a weird concept that there is different visualization techniques that people use on a chessboard anyway. Because I just thought that there yeah. was. Uh, most people just think that there is just one. Honestly, and yeah. just look up in the ceiling, but. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it's, like, it's very fascinating learning about all this. It's like, man, yeah. you have to be an interesting character to e- to even think about that. <laughs> Cheers. Lots of reading. <laughs> Lots of reading. If I have any superpower, it's I'm good at connecting ideas that don't seem like they should go together. Uh, and that's kind of led me to this spot. That's kind of my my secret sauce, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, is I can take idea, take insights from one area and apply them into a new space. Yeah. But, the as far as like I, I don't recommend anybody try and copy any other model as far as the right. main takeaway. And that's uh, the thing with chess too. Work. Yeah, you have to like do your own model, just like how every chess exactly. player has a different personality. It's like yeah, ah, like your so brain hard. has this. <laughs> your brain has this connection to stuff, has this way that it wants to do it. And once you find that, and once you trust to do your brain and then you train it in the way that it wants to be trained uh magic happens like it's really exciting i, I was i did a coaching session one time with a uh a guy who uh, one of my longest customers and he um he's a super logical guy like very very logical he's an accountant mm-hmm. he's been an accountant his whole life he like organized his life with spreadsheets like everything is spreadsheets and and numbers and very clear logical breakdowns of things. And he was having a lot of trouble with visualization because he's trying to see a picture mm. and he just wasn't having, making any progress at all. And he felt this was just this, this horrible thing, letting him down. He would never move forward in his game because he was unable to visualize. It wasn't working. Yeah. And he didn't have aphantasia. He was just naturally less inclined to, to see a picture. And, uh, with a bit of work and a bit of the, especially blindfold training, because it forces your brain to come up with something. If you put your brain under that much pressure and then let it deal with the information, however it wants to, you'll generally stumble into your, <laughs> into your model. Um, Cause brains are lazy. It wants to go whatever it wants to do. And uh, just like in the course of that session, like just seeing him uh, be able to connect with the information a lot better. And he realized he has a very logical method. He doesn't see any pictures at all. He like, he remembers the notation in his head. He has like ways that he works out. Uh, He relates every diagonal to the opening that the Bishop goes on (laughs) and like whatever his brain wants to do, he just let himself do it. And now he's like way stronger with his visualization than he's, than he's ever been before. Mm-hmm. And um, feels like he can make progress. And, and the only difference was that he stopped trying to see a picture. He instead found what his brain wants to do. Yeah. So I got a question, and this is mainly for the audience too. Yeah. There, there's a percentage of, of how to categorize your studying. What percentage would you say somebody would have to focus on visualization to get better? Cool. My main thing I recommend is um, start your training, however long you're going to train for, uh, with 10 minutes of blindfold training. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're training for two hours, three hours, whatever, still 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes is probably fine. Do more mm-hmm. if you're loving it, do more if you want to focus on it. But that space of just 10 minutes at the start, it gears your brain for whatever's going to come and allows you to kind of yeah obviously make progress with the visualization there's a um uh story i loved like from i've got a juggler mate of mine who uh whenever he has to go out on stage and practice with five balls uh he's backstage immediately beforehand doing the same trick with seven uh because by the time he goes out on stage he wants it to be easy and that's the same thing if we start with 10 minutes of visualization blindfold training uh before we do the rest of our study then any calculation, any visualization we have to do over the course of the rest of our study will be super easy by comparison. 
And that's a very powerful spot to be. Okay. So because I, because, okay. So you say 10 minutes each day, that would be sufficient enough because I know from my experience and I tell people this and other people see this, you can't just stop doing one thing, right? You can't, you can't just go all in on visualization and stop playing chess games, start doing puzzles, um, stop studying tactics. You got to do yeah. pretty much everything all at once in like a bundle. Right. And so that's what I would say, because what mm. happens is if you stop playing chess games, and just study, then you don't have the experience of playing chess games anymore. You get a nervous, Absolutely. you're going to start yeah. overthinking and those yeah. things just reoccur. And if you just play chess games, then you're going to plateau. You're going to feel bad by not um, increasing yeah. that rating. You're not reaching the rating that you want to reach. And um, because you're not learning anything else about the game. Yeah, so, completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Chess is just a hard game to <laughs> hard game to study. I, but what, what what priority list would you put it on? Like, would it be under openings? Would it be like visualization? Would it be under openings? Would it be like I, kind of above I'm, I'm with Fabiano. Uh, I think visualization is the most important part of the game. Like, obviously, I'm biased, but I uh, saw the, I've seen the the results um, because at its core, it is helping us get better at chess information mm-hmm. and how our brain handles that information. And every other part of chess is just chess information. So the better we are at handling it, the better we are at, keeping track of what's happening, understanding kind of what's happening in the board, uh, the more we're able to take in with every other part of our study. It's kind of a multiplier for the study for me. Right. Uh, so I'd, I'd say, yeah, comfortably most important um, because it feeds everything else and it makes everything else easier. Okay. Makes uh, sense. And then it's tactics. I have to look at that Fabio Caruana interview. Yeah, no, I'll I'll send you a link to it for the um for the show notes. Okay, that sounds good. All right. Um. So I know this is off topic, but we have to spice yeah. it up a little bit. You Absolutely. Mentioned, you mentioned Super Smash Brothers, so I already know yep. that you got a history plan. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you mean? <laughs> oh, so I actually have don't have a history of playing it. I or just you find, watch tournaments. Um, you watch the tournaments and stuff or <laughs> I I sort of yeah, I sort of stumbled into it a little bit. Like I, I don't actually have a background in Smash Brothers at all. I'm just fascinated by opportunities to hear people who are really, really good at something and talk about what they're really, really good at. So I was just on Twitch one day and I saw a a, a stream from Toph um talking about the top like having the top melee player as a guest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go have a look at this. Like I've played Smash a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then I, yeah, I just, I learned a ton just listening to this guy talk about him being good at what he's doing. I just find, I find, yeah, I find people that are passionate and fantastic at what they do incredibly fascinating, regardless of what the thing is. Uh, so yeah, sadly, yeah. sadly, I don't actually have a main. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is sad, but it, it's kind of funny how all those, just mix in together. Um, yeah. Just I can see how chess mix in with different type of games that I play, and I'm. Yeah. Yeah. If you wanted to mix in, then it can. But if you just play chess and just leave it at the board, you could do that too. Yeah. Uh, I, I find as adults, we learn best if we can imply things from multiple spaces. Um, kids mm-hmm. are just like big sponges, and they take in anything from whatever. But adults learn the more things that we can tie to a new thing that we're learning the faster we learn we absolutely ability absolutely able to have rapid learning experiences um Mm -hmm. but we need to approach a little bit differently so i'm a big fan of like if you are really good at chess and you want to pick up coding like have a look at coding and work out what can you apply from your chess to your coding what insights what perspectives what things do you already understand about chess that also makes sense here and when you do those sorts of things, uh, you often find either totally new insights or at least insights that that can speed up your progress way more than just following a step by step course. So, do kids play on your platform too? Yeah, I've had a had a few come through. Uh, most of the stuff in the system is totally focused on adult learning. Uh, it, the system is difficult because I'm a big fan of that isolate and intensify idea. We want to put our brains under enough pressure to force them to do stuff. And stuff that's 
too tricky can be a bit of a, a turnoff um, for kids. Mm-hmm. So I've I have focused on the adult learner, um, but I do have some kids that have really uh, engaged with the system. In order to get for for, I'd recommend if there is any sort of parents or coaches uh, with chess kids looking at the system, it needs a guiding hand, uh, needs a kind of a strong adult uh, encouragement to sort it out. But adults love it, uh, and that's yeah. been the market I've aimed for. That's who I'm kind of in business for, is to help adults who have less time on their hands see the improvement that they that they're looking for right all right well that's i mean primarily uh, you said that fide masters and chess masters use your platform uh, for tournaments so (laughs) that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. all right (laughs) i'm actually kind of curious like what's your model uh i'd love to deep dive a little bit into that if, if you've got the time for it my, kind of... my model uh, for what yeah for see like if i can kind of give you a bit of value oh man so i'm not gonna lie i haven't really focused on that when i'm playing chess visualizing it no, that's usually, cool man it usually just <laughs> yep. just happens <laughs> it's usually yep. just a pat oh snap i know this pattern and then i just do it that's and plus <laughs> This is probably horrible on my part, but you already actually. I forgot to ask you what's your chest rating before I go to my story. Your chest <laughs> rating? I'm. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't looked. At, I haven't been studying myself for quite some time. I'm much more focused now on helping other people improve. But my current rating is around sixteen fifty rapid chess dot com. Okay. Um, so I'm in that kind of space. I'm looking. I'm sort of booking out a couple of weeks in the sort of month or two. Where I'm going to deep dive into my own training again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and see how high I can get in that kind of time. But it's been it's been a solid year since I really put consistent study for myself in. Mm-hmm. And that's respectable. Like I would say over a thousand is respectable. If you can get over a thousand on chess.com, congrats. That's perfect. <laughs> I think any chess player could do that. But um, absolutely, yeah. I was gonna say was so yeah, everything just comes in a pattern. And since I'm dealing with the business, you know, I don't have yeah. time to deep dive into chess myself. So I got into this habit of just playing faster games, playing bullet, playing yeah. blitz. So I don't really have the time to deep dive in like a 30 minute game to actually calculate the position and to figure out the secrets that I love doing. I just don't got time to do it. That's so fair. I can't give you like a. <laughs> I can't That's give you right. Like a- I mean, I, if you're interested, I could take you and your audience through an exercise. Okay. Um, actually that sounds fun that sounds sounds interesting uh, uh i'll just i'll just write down a game so i can do the same one yeah all right cool i'll just do i'll just do four or five moves okay here we and go we'll see how we go from there all right all right so Fair, just <laughs> what am i doing am i that's right so basically close your eyes okay uh and i'm just going to read out some moves and i'm going to ask a couple questions as we go uh okay. as to and actually, let me. I'll pull up a proper. Don't hypnotize me. All right, I'm not into that. Right? <laughs> no. I got kids to provide for. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So, oh yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna read out some moves, and I'm gonna try to answer, ask some questions as we go, and I'll get you to answer them. Okay. Um. So. One e four. E five. Two, knight c3, knight c6. What are those knights doing right now? Those knights are defending. I mean, the knight on c3 is defending the pawn on e4, and the knight on c6 is defending the pawn on e5. Beautiful. Bishop c4. Bishop c5. Move four, we have queen g4. What's that queen doing? Queen on g4 is attacking a pawn on g7. Beautiful. Uh, is it, what else is kind of in its sight line? Just out of curiosity. The queen on g4 is... Attacking a pawn on d7-2. Nice. Um, yeah, it's only attacking those two pawns. I know my bishop cool. on c4 is attacking the pawn on f7, so I'm keeping track of that. Beautiful. Too. Yeah, Yeah. nice, nice, nice. Is the queen defending anything? 
Not that that thing is being attacked. Yeah, but is it? Is it yeah, the queen is defending the pawn on e4. Fantastic. And I guess you could say the pawn on g2. Cool. Your uh, grasp of vectors is very strong. That's very cool. You're, you're getting the diagonals really quickly. That's fantastic. That's normally a very okay. tricky point for a lot of people. All right. Black plays d6. Uh -oh. What did that do? Attack my queen. Dude, you're nailing these diagonals. All right. Good job. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, fantastic, man. What's happening in your head as you're doing this? An alert went off when you did the move D6 because I was excited. Yeah, I noticed it. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is it this a position you're familiar with? Like, a, have you done vienna stuff before? Or is this totally new? Well, I've played a lot of positions in the past 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I used to be an E4 player. So I don't normally do Queen G4, but I automatically just, danger just flared in my head because Amazing. usually I have to like watch out for people capturing my Queen now yeah hell yeah okay we like that what's the uh best move for white in this position the best move for white is capturing the pawn of g7 i don't think he defended that fantastic yeah then we have knight f6 and what's okay. the best move for white now capturing a rook on h8 uh it's not actually you can, you absolutely can capture the rook on h8, and it's still definitely. Oh, yeah, you can checkmate. You can checkmate on f7. <laughs> <Correct> to me. <laughs> no, like, see, this is gonna embarrass me. <laughs> it's still winning. Know, man. That's, it's no, still, yeah, winning, still winning, guys. Wherever it's, the camera yeah, it's is, not a it's still winning. <laughs> <laughs> that was epic, man. Well done. Those right. diagonals, like you just like had a, yeah, that's that's the whole okay. game, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> nice. So okay. like, I'd love like when you nailed that, and I imagine some of your audience will have as well. But I imagine some other ones in your audience will have done that and missed, especially the d6 move with the bishop hitting the queen, stuff like that, um, is really tricky to spot in your mind uh, without some kind of visual reference. It can be like really difficult to notice and hold those things. But the more we train ourselves to keep track of that stuff, the less we make those blunders like in games when we can see things. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just a really powerful uh, kind of spot, just getting really comfortable with the things that are happening on the board and understanding it when you can't see it so that when you can, it's easy. Yeah. And that kind of actually pointed something out too, is that I have a hard time visualizing check baits. So I'm glad oh, that we interesting. did that test. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't. That didn't come to my mind at first, but I yeah. know that in my game sometimes I I could potentially miss checkmate in like three or four. So yeah, I'm glad that we went over that. Yeah. That's the other like that's the fascinating thing I found. I like that you said that is often the issues people have, like the blind spots they have in their visualization, actually match up quite nicely with the sorts of mistakes they're making in games. Because if you put it all through the lens of what is our brain noticing in a position and how is it holding that information, like your brain missed the checkmate and then it sounds like that's a, a common mistake that you make as well. And maybe your brain's mm -hmm. just simply missing those things otherwise. So it's, yeah, it's been a, a really fascinating journey kind of understanding kind of how our brains do this stuff. Chess is such a complex, fascinating game. Yeah. And exercises like this can really lay bare any issues that you have and give you a, a, a way to train. Mm -hmm. So how would you, how do they do that on your program then? Because I'm guessing they have to open their eyes to do the moves, right? Or <laughs> I, I haven't been on your po program. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't played on it. That's right. Uh, I've got uh, the actual, the full system's got 13 different exercise types that I designed. Some of them are, uh, like just audio games, like the one we just played out. Some of them are puzzle type things where I'll tell you where all the pieces are on a board. You close your eyes, listen to the audio. Most of it's audio based. Um, and you uh, try and find the best move. Some of them are things I like to call find the blunders where you have, I give you like the like a PGN basically, like the text notation of a game. Somewhere in there, somebody made a horrible blunder and the opponent didn't punish them for it. 
and you have to try and find like visualize the game as you're reading the notation and find the bad move and what should have been done instead mm-hmm. and so those mostly, sort of things which is so i'm guessing you're mostly trusting the player to actually close their eyes and actually visualize it than just going through the game and just finishing the program yeah pretty much i mean like if they do that they're cheating themselves out of yeah out of the training really <laughs> like uh okay just making sure like, for all right. the audience to know this it's like <laughs> you're not you're not accomplishing what he what he created mm. you're <laughs> you're not accomplishing anything actually <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not gonna ever be able to beat me or beat him <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> there is there is something to be said like this stuff is hard it's really 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 tricky uh and like not perfect practice is better than no practice so if like as you're working through audio games if you record your own material if you use my material and you need some of those little crutches here and there just to help you engage with the system to help you engage with this kind of visualization training and and sort of start building that skill then go for it uh but the goal should be at each point to eventually not need those things mm-hmm. right and to for them to do it themselves yeah all right that's that's, that's where the magic happens yeah yeah that's cool <laughs> like that <laughs> hmm. that was an interesting experience man because i know you're gonna have to look at my past previous podcast i did I wasn't as proficient as I am now in speaking, but <laughs> I did do a visualization episode, a few of them actually. Oh, fantastic. Um, on this podcast, and a lot of people liked it, like the training. I did the one. Nice. I don't know if you probably already have this exercise, but I did the exercise with only the knight on the board, and you're trying to get yeah. to the specific square to the other end. Right? Yeah. And so a lot of people like that type of episode, so that, and a lot of people don't realize that they can actually visualize where the night is going until they do it yeah so i, I love that night really that night tool it's fantastic yeah yeah it's just super interesting yeah. some of those classic call- yeah what do you call it on your platform um i actually it? don't ha- i i mentioned that one uh i just call it the night tour so in, i've mm-hmm. got kind of an article about it um i yeah I, I find it a very very cool useful additional tool a lot of the kind of traditional visualization tools i find don't go deep enough but they are mm. very useful at specific parts. Like the night tool will make you very comfortable with night movement, uh, which is so, obviously very important. But, so do you think what we did previously goes a little bit deeper into visualization than doing the night tool thing? Which I guess you can argue that, yeah. Yeah, because if, if the goal is get your brain good at dealing with chess information, the night tour is super useful for working out how a night moves, but that's about all. Oh, and I suppose for tracking which squares you've been to. Mm-hmm. um and having that kind of spatial sense of the board but as far right. as a wealth of chess information just having one piece move around or even one piece dodging a queen is uh not enough strain to force your brain to build up the systems to keep track of it all mm-hmm. all right but still really cool <laughs> not to like you no know what other to, to downplay how good that is no it no that's really good um, you know, what other thing I realized too, when I did that move queen to H8 is that like, I just ignored all the other pieces on the board, which yeah. I think primarily happens to beginners too. It's like, I, I forgot all about the bishop on C4 or the knight on C3. I was like, okay, just yeah. take that rook, do it the easy way, get the win. And yeah, <laughs> I think, I think most people need to like, I know I just did it, but most people need to stop doing that, especially as a beginner, because I know some beginners get into some real trouble doing that. <laughs> like I knew yeah. I was still winning, but sometimes you're not always winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's not so good. Yeah. 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 It worked out well for you, but yeah. <laughs> and that's the other one, actually. The other thing that I think that that um, points is uh, patterns become really, really important. Like it is a logical thematic idea to then take the rook when she queens on g7 mm-hmm. uh it's less right, thematic right. to take on f7 from g7 like that's not normally how that goes uh you don't normally scholars mate from the side uh so <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah it's interesting how brains can fall into those patterns as well which is used to things going a certain way and there's a lot of chess puzzles will prey on that they'll they'll um yeah it's, it's a, it can be a really tricky thing to work past pattern recognition is so important and sometimes pattern recognition is actually works against you mm-hmm. 
No, that's really interesting. Okay. Do you have anything else to share with us? Yeah. Um, if uh, people are really digging uh, the kind of idea and the stuff we talked about and the visualization training stuff we did, uh, I have a uh, five-day free kind of email-based course uh, of sorts that people can sign up for. I call it my master skill series. And that'll sort of run through in, in much more depth the sorts of things that we've discussed here and give a couple exercises. Um, otherwise, people can go and record their own audio. You go to chessgames.com and find a move, find a game that's 15 moves or less and just record yourself reading the notation. That'll work really well as well. Um, my main goal here is to give value. If people decide that they love that and want to come and support my stuff, then that's cool. But uh, I really, I just love helping people impress themselves with what they can do. And uh, mm -hmm. so if they do that themselves, then that's, that's a win. Um, okay. Where can they find yeah, you? So Which platforms are you ready? <laughs> uh, the website is don't move until you see dot it. Uh, the, I've gone on Twitter at Aiden at don't move. I'm on Facebook as well. Just search me there. Uh, and those are my main ones currently. Um, oh, oh you're not on any, any other way. platforms like YouTube, TikTok. You're not on, uh, not on YouTube and TikTok yet, but maybe, maybe soon. Uh, and I do a little bit on Instagram, but not much. Um, but that's, yeah, I'm, I am on Instagram though. So you can probably find me there and hopefully there'll be some more stuff coming. Uh, but Twitter and my website and my email is the best way to get me. If anyone's that way inclined, I'm also on LinkedIn at Aiden Rayner. Feel free to add me there. But uh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank, thank you for like teaching us like how you started the business and about visualization. I'm pretty sure this is an insightful visualization thing <laughs> that anybody can follow. So please don't just... I know what you're going to do. All right. Don't forget about this episode, especially if you reach this far. All right. <laughs> yeah. Implement it. All right. Implement yeah. everything that was in this episode because he just said that this was super crucial for you to improve. So, for all everybody who's at 750 ELO, you know, if you want to break that barrier, um, focus on visualization and everything else too, like I said. To sum yeah. it all up. Amazing. Is that good? Okay, cool. Make sure that you keep on fighting to the end, staying focused in chess and in real life too. All right. I'll see y'all later. Peace. Thanks, Simone. Bye. All right. <laughs>